0: month, the Lesbian Historic Motif podcast is delighted to be talking with Lise McTague. Lise has been taking something of a tour through various speculative fiction genres, starting with a Romantic Space Opera Adventure Trilogy, then diving into Shapeshifters, and now taking on Victorian-era steampunk in her novel Demon in the Machine. Welcome, Lise.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Maybe you could start by telling us a little bit about your new novel.
1: Oh, Yeah. Uh, Demon in the Machine is out on June 15th, uh, published by Bella Books, and it is, as you said, it's a Victorian era steampunk, but it has some uh, paranormal thrown in for good measure, and there is also a mystery to be solved. Ah. It features uh, Briar, who is a half-demon archivist passing as human in the employ of an earl, And she crosses paths with Isabella Castle, Viscount's daughter. And Isabella has been supplementing her family's failing fortunes with a little bit of cat burgling. (laughs) That sounds fun. Mm Mm-hmm. So they have to join forces to discover what the heck is going on with this new... uh, This new line, I suppose you would say, of horseless carriages that Briar is convinced are evil. <laughs> okay.
0: So steampunk is a genre. It, it brings in a lot of different relationships to real world history. How do you see your story relating to like the actual industrial revolution and the, the setting? What are your points of departure from the real world?
1: Well, I mean, the biggest point of departure is probably uh, the demon aspect of things. Yeah,
0: <clears throat> I can see that.
1: So <laughs> so in, in my version of steampunk, steam isn't enough. The technological advances that have happened are too much for pure technology to have done by itself. So it is supplemented through magic most of the time of the demonic variety because that is the easiest to use. So, all of these uh, things that just wouldn't be possible with the actual technology of the day are because they have this sort of extra boost of magic. Mm -hmm. On the downside, you know, I mean, these people are literally making deals with the devil. in order for their, their technological marvels to exist. So then I get to start looking at sort of what are the, the ramifications of those particular sets of, uh, decisions.
0: So, so this may be getting a little bit deep or something, but is that, you know, meant to be a metaphor for the, you know, the, the, the bargain with the devil that society made in terms of industrializing and, you know, bringing in productivity in exchange for pollution and, um, all sorts of labor issues and whatnot. Or am I get just am I over analyzing this?
1: Um, a bit of a metaphor. I mean, part of it was just me looking at you know other steampunk things and going, there's just no way you could do that with a steam engine. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> and then yeah, part of it is also you know what 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 do you give up in order to do these things? Um, you know as as a society, but in this particular case, we're looking at one individual and what he has given up to realize his particular hopes and dreams by literally making a deal with the devil. Uh And that's our our antagonist, Uh known mostly as the inventor.
0: (laughs) So is history a general specific interest of yours, or is it something that you sort of came into sideways through genre fiction?
1: Oh, goodness. When I was in ninth grade, I was convinced I was going to be a medieval historian, Oh, cool. And then I took my first Latin class and bombed it embarrassingly and decided that maybe I'd go into art instead. (laughs) But I'd always had a, a, a particular... You know, affection for the Middle Ages, and I've always enjoyed history as a, as a topic uh, and as a subject in school. And so this is a way I get to, you know, learn a little bit myself and get to play in in those different eras um, without having to go and take more Latin classes.
0: <laughs> so have you have you followed up on your interest in medieval history just um, for your own enjoyment?
1: Very superficially. Uh-huh. Uh, at, at some point, I will write a a you know a high fantasy novel, and I'll have to take a deeper dive back into that, but, I mean, that was something that I was really into when I was in high school, and I've forgotten so much. Um, my mom is actually has a, a PhD in medieval history, and so, you know, part of it is also that I just don't know that I would be able to do her justice. Ah. Uh. <laughs>
0: So, so was that part of your your original inspiration of the interest? Was was uh, your mother?
1: Uh, it was actually The Hobbit. Ah. but she gave that to me when I was in the third grade, and then I spent the next I finished The Hobbit in about you know three hours, and then I asked her for more, and she gave me her copy of Lord of the Rings, which took me the next three days to read, <laughs> and then I was hooked. And so I you know I read you know like Ivanhoe, some of the the older classics and found them incredibly dense, and then I found more uh, fantasy, and then I found historical fantasy, and I spent a lot of time reading my mom's historical romances on the sly when I was in high school, Uh so that was fun.
0: (laughs) I always found that historical romances were a great way to pick up the, the broad outlines of history.
1: Yeah, and to get a feeling for the settings. Uh, I, th- I think that Demon in the Machine actually has a lot to answer for as far as those uh, historical romances of my mom's that-, that I read.
0: So I hear a rumor that you've been known to do some steampunk cosplay.
1: Uh, not steampunk cosplay just yet. I've done some... Well, I, I-, I build uh, video game props and so right now I'm right in the middle of uh, dystopian, sort <laughs> of post-apocalyptic stuff, but I'm always on the lookout for more. I can definitely see steampunk. It, it works with sort of the the grungy aesthetic of the what what I'm currently dealing with, but is slightly more elegant, if that makes sense. Okay,
0: I, I may have um, you know blended things together in my mind, and because uh, I knew you were mm. doing some cosplay stuff.
1: Yeah, well, and I'm I'm as uh, genre agnostic with cosplay as I am with my writing, so <laughs> it'll probably show up at some point. <laughs> Plus, you know, you get to play with gears and readouts and dials, and I mean, how much fun is that?
0: Yeah, I if I had gotten into steampunk, I would be even more sad than I am that I did not pillage the warehouse that of of the lab that I worked in back in the oh mid '80s. I had a job out at the Naval Bioscience Lab in Oakland and they had shelves and shelves and shelves of old scientific instruments in gorgeous cherry wood boxes with with brass fittings and and I kept looking at them and thinking oh gosh it's just the aesthetic is so wonderful and but of course you know it all belonged to you know naval navy um, supplies stuff and uh, you know I don't even know if it would have been possible to like Take them home with me. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I loved the idea that functional things can be beautiful.
1: Yes. Yeah, no, I definitely hear you on that one. My wife gets a little perturbed with me when I I, I pick up, like, screws and bolts and other stuff off the ground because I'm going to use them for something later, and they're pre-weathered. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and so she gives me some side eye when I, like, bend down and pick up a random bolt. and then... But, you know, I can tell her that she, she can't talk because she's the one who likes to cruise the... Um, the the, the curbs at uh move out time for the local college to see if there's any furniture we can snag so, <laughs> you know my my junk collecting is of a much smaller variety than hers is all i have to say in my defense
0: <laughs> uh-huh. so do you have any particular influences in steampunk any authors or works that that really inspired you to give the genre a try
1: Yeah, I think we can mostly blame Gail Carriger for for this particular foray. I really enjoyed her Parasol Protectorate series, Uh and the idea that you could take steampunk and marry sort of paranormal aspects with it and just have a whole boatload of fun was Uh really appealing to me. Also, you know, that that whole sort of fantasy of manners aspect of, of things that comes into it, which is kind of fun and was... A much-needed departure from my last book which had gotten quite dark and I just needed kind of a a sort of a a palate cleanser for my brain and to do (laughs) something that felt a little fluffier so yeah that that's how demon in the machine came about
0: how do you envision your your queer characters in the story fitting into this period in you know 19th century industrial revolution Was, was that something that you looked into in particular or did you just sort of play it by ear
1: I more played it by ear. Uh, I mean, you know, that that is definitely a disadvantage to writing a, a story featuring queer characters when you're basing it on a historical period. Unlike my space opera, where I could do whatever the heck I wanted because no one could tell me that's wrong, <laughs> uh-huh. or the um, my, my paranormal, which is set on modern day, so, you know, I'm quite versed in how queer people are, are seen and treated. I had to do a little bit more of a balancing act, and I have to admit, I mostly avoided the issue. Not completely, but mostly the two characters keep their relationship on the down low. It's not something that they advertise, though Isabella does admit to having had previous dalliances with other women, Uh Um, but those are not something that, that she ever, ever advertised and Briar does have a run-in with Isabella's mother where her her mother basically says don't do anything that will affect Isabella's marriage potential <laughs> uh-huh and uh which you know kind of kind of freaks Briar out because she hadn't actually thought of that and knew she, she was interested in Isabella and things had progressed quite a bit at that stage but you know Isabella was a character is a character who has no particular interest in marriage uh-huh. um, you know she's she's in the midst of, of, of her first season and it's mostly so that she can case the build- you know the, the houses and the, the jewels <laughs> of, of other people in high society not because she is out there looking for a husband.
0: Are there any other um, aspects to how you develop the story or uh, background research or anything you'd like to talk about?
1: I did spend a fair amount of time looking into uh, the history of demons and how they're dealt with in in mythology, mostly because I wanted to create sort of hierarchies of hell, but not use the the terms that everybody's heard over and over again. Uh Uh, So I, I spent a lot of time doing that. I spent a lot of time researching the history of uh, steam powered vehicles Uh (laughs) for my horseless carriage. And actually I discovered half of the way through my editing process that shoot, that was the only steampunk tech I'd actually really dealt with mostly (laughs) because it's the, it's, it's, it's the focus of, of the mystery and what's going on here. But there are all these other things that I was like, shoot, I completely forgot about that. So, and I, you know, I, there's a there's a zeppelin that shows up later on and I realized that oh yeah steam engines are kind of a thing (laughs) we should probably put in some locomotives so yeah most of my research was around sort of the the technological and the mythological aspects though I did spend a few days trying to get a handle on British nobility and who's called what and what their titles are, and why don't the titles necessarily match the last names of the people who have them, and when to use the one and not the other. Yeah, um, unfortunately,
0: there are some really great online resources from people who write in that field all the time.
1: Yes, and I am so thankful for that. I'm also thankful for the fact that Wikipedia has a stupid amount of uh, information on minor noble families going back <laughs> quite a ways, and I, I was trolling through there to, to uh, you know, pick a, a noble house for, well, both for Isabella to belong to, but also for Briar's employer, the Earl, and I, I chose uh, Earl of Hardwick because by the time my novel takes place, that, that noble line is, is defunct, uh-huh. and so I could, you know, I felt I could bring it ahead and wouldn't have to worry about any actual sort of historical intersections. Yeah. But there was an unanticipated historical intersection in that I in my real job I'm an archivist for the state of North Carolina and I was working with some finding aids that they have at 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 my job of uh North Carolina subject materials that are in foreign collections including papers from the Earl of Hardwick Uh (laughs) and it was really disconcerting to come across that mention totally out of the context that I created for it and to see it in its original context back in like the 1780s, 1790s.
0: I think one of the most fun things about writing in historical context is th- that synchronicity that you'll be researching one thing and you stumble across something and suddenly it's like, wow, I could use this.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, if only I had, you know, <laughs> if only it hadn't been a year since i submitted the uh, manuscript to Bella and wasn't, you know, ankle deep until my new manuscript, I might have actually been able to use those letters. But it was just a, a really fun intersection that just you know, happened literally across my desk at first.
0: So are there any other current projects you're working on that you'd like to tell listeners about? Uh, like maybe your own podcast?
1: That is an ongoing current project, yes. Uh, Andy Marquette and I do a bi-weekly podcast bi-weekly that's the right that's every two weeks yes i always had to think bi-weekly not semi-weekly <laughs> we're doing a bi-weekly podcast called les geek out where she and i take a look at our sort of our favorite things going on in pop culture and then talk about them in a uh, a bit of a queer feminist bent and i i really enjoy that that's les geek out at the the most recent thing we did was killjoys which is a sci-fi TV series, but we've touched on, we do TV shows, movies, games, other people's podcasts, graphic novels, webcomics, almost everything except for books, though we occasionally break that rule for ourselves.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and if people are listening to this show by the subscription, then they already know about yours, because we're on the same channel. Exactly. Um, How about any forthcoming book projects?
1: Right. Well, aside from Demon in the Machine, which is out next month, I have been working on a sequel to my Paranormal Five Moons Rising. And I'm into draft 1.5 since the first draft had some issues and I had to throw it out and start over again. I don't want to (laughs) talk about that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, But it has an actual title which is Hunter's Descent, and I'm hoping that I'll be able to get it out next year. Aside from that, I'm working on a couple of short stories, one in the same universe as my space opera, and then, yeah, we'll see what else comes up.
0: Okay, and how about if people want to find you online through social media or websites, where would they find you?
1: Sure, I am on Twitter at at Lees McTagg. I'm on Facebook, under under just just, just under my name. Uh, I have a website, leesmctagg.com. And if you want to do some really deep dives, you can find me on Goodreads, which is usually good for getting on my giveaway list when I have a book coming out. And yeah, that's about it.
0: I'll put uh, links to all of those in the show notes so people can find you easily. So thank you for
1: joining us, Lise. All right. Thank you for having me.